Good afternoon, people. Welcome to another episode of Eden House Live. As promised, we always bring you topics that are close to your heart. And uh, we've talked about screen time and digital literacy in the past. We've also talked about temper tantrums and behavior guidance. Today, we will be talking about teenage well, health and well-being. And that's a topic that's very close to my heart, having a teenager at home. Um, so before we get started, just a few reminders. If you'd like to follow us uh, on Facebook Live, uh, do um, like our page on uh, Facebook as well as click interested in our upcoming events. You could also subscribe to our blog and to our newsletter and I um, promise you it's a treasure trove of anything parenting so it's incredible stuff out there. Um, and last but not the least uh, do send us your questions um, while we are having a conversation with Dr. Forrest and uh, if there aren't any questions just a hello or a hi just to say that you're there. Uh, so let's dive straight into it. Dr. Forrest, thank you so much for being here with us. Uh, Dr. Forrest is um, from the International Medical Clinic at the Camden Medical Center. Yep. And I was there for one of his talks, by the way, it was completely sold out. So terribly excited to have him here today, all to ourselves and all the questions that we will have. Uh, so Dr. Forrest, diving straight into the topic of how to support your teenage, um, one's teenage son or daughter um, as they navigate through this very challenging and transformational journey. Um, let's get to the core of it to understand what really uh, is happening in the teenage body and mind. What are some of the physiological and the psychological as well as the physical changes that are taking place? Sure. Well, if we start with the, the, the psychological and, 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 and mental side of things, the, the, the reason that, that teenagers might behave differently to, to adults is because their brains are fundamentally different. The brain is remodeling itself and developing up until around the mid-twenties. And so teenagers are making decisions and, and using different parts of their brain uh, to, to, to interpret their behaviors. Uh, essentially, the teenage brain remodels from front to back. So mm -hmm. the front of the brain is the mm -hmm. last bit to remodel. Right, right. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of adult decision-making goes happens. on. Yes, so the, the prefrontal cortex is the bit of our brain that allows us to weigh information, think about the future implications maybe of our mm -hmm. decisions, uh, and to really plan decisions out. And that's the bit that sometimes teenagers are, are lacking in a mm -hmm. little bit. Mm -hmm. Teenagers are far more likely to rely on the amygdala, another part of the brain, to make help make them them make decisions and that's the bit of the brain that's more impulsive more instinctive and makes decisions more based on emotion so we still have that as adults but it's sort of modulated a little bit by the, the frontal parts of the brain and teenagers develop that at different rates and in different ways so you, that's why if you have a teenager you may see them making very mature decisions on the one hand in certain areas of their life and more immature decisions on, on the other hand and, and sometimes where we need to help them is to be a little bit more reflective and a bit, little bit less instinctive in their decision making because they don't always think about the long-term consequences of what they're doing. Okay, so it's all grounded in science then. It is, yeah, it is. <laughs> and, and, and it's important to say that that's completely normal. So when we talk about teenage mental health and teenage behaviours, it's important to recognise what normal teenagers are like. They are more impulsive, they are more emotional, uh, they will want to spend more time on their own or with friends than with family than maybe when they were younger kids. Um, they, they may 
prefer more isolated activities and, 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 and to, to shut themselves in, the, in their room and listen to music. They will sleep for longer. I wonder why though, is there again a scientific... Again, there's a scientific reason for it. So the, 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 the hormones like melatonin that, that govern when we want to go to sleep yeah, and when yeah. we want to wake up um, are secreted in the body in a pulsatile way, so at certain times. And that's shifted slightly in teenagers because they're growing and most of our growth happens at night. And so they generally want to go to bed later, but they also want to sleep in later. I think any parent of a teenager will yeah, recognize yeah, I, that. I know that. And it's hard, isn't it, in the morning getting up and going to school? And, and it's, it's kind of builds a sort of cycle of fatigue where they're waking up when they haven't slept very long yeah. and then can't sleep till very late at night. And that kind of keeps feeding into their bodies and making them more and more tired. Absolutely. And there are schools around the world that are experimenting with later start times yeah, for, for adolescents, yes. which, uh, which does make sense. But fitting that into parents' life and, and general day-to-day -day life is, is a challenge. Yeah. Uh, however you manage it, it's important that they are getting enough sleep and they do need more sleep. Than, than adults. Most teenagers will need eight hours, some up to 10 hours sleep a night to, to, to feel refreshed and, and to, to, to remain healthy. Right. And it's a bit of a dichotomy, isn't it, where they want to fit in and yet they want to be themselves. They want to assert their individuality. And yeah. so, again, it's all coming from that physiological, the biological, the mental changes that are happening in their brains. Yeah, it is, but then there are the sort of social and cultural things going on where you're, you're becoming your own person, as you say, rather than, than a child and, and discovering your own identity and trying to fit in with your peers. And so uh, that's, that's always been a challenge for teenagers anywhere in the world. I think if you add in the, 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 the for, for, for kids living in, in Singapore, the, the, the challenges of maybe not having wider family around if, 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 they're, if they're expat kids. Mm -hmm. um, there are other challenges that, that go with that. And it's important to recognize that all that stuff is normal. So when we talk about mental health issues, all this stuff is fine. You, teenagers a bit moody um, or wants to spend a bit much time on their own. That's not a mental health problem. Yeah, that, yeah. That, is, that is being a teenager. And, right. and, and, if you understand that, that and can be supportive of that, then sometimes that's all that's mm -hmm. required. Mm -hmm. So what are these mental health issues? So I would say uh, you know, something becomes a mental health issue when it really starts impairing your, your child's ability to, to function, whether that's at school, at home, socially. If, it's, if you feel that it's, it's, it's damaging them in some way, then we've probably tipped over from just normal teenage behaviors to possibly mental health issues. The commonest, as it is in adults, is, is, is anxiety and, and depression, and the two are, are interlinked. Um, lots of people feel anxious at times, and that's a normal emotion, as it, as it is for teenagers. But when that starts to, to impact on your happiness, well-being, if it becomes very frequent or if, if it develops into panic attacks, then it's a problem that, that, that should be addressed. Right. And are there any signs that parents should look out for? Yeah. So, uh, you know, anxiety and depression are interlinked because it's very difficult to feel anxious all the time and not start to feel low in mood about that. Mm -hmm. And so uh, children that appear to be excessively sad, who don't want to come out of their room, who don't want to spend time with family or friends, um, you know, the, those would all be, be warning signs for, for, for depression and anxiety. At the more extreme end of, of the, 
the, the spectrum and something that's more common in, in adolescence is, is self-harm mm -hmm. behaviours. Uh, that can be more difficult sometimes for parents to, to pick up on, but looking out for the physical signs of that are important yeah. as well. And when should you seek professional help? I, I think uh, yeah, we're all different as parents um, and, and people might feel more or less comfortable uh, addressing that with their own child and, and, and your own relationship with your child will affect that. So I think if you feel that it's a problem that's impacting your child and you're not sure how to deal with it or you've tried and you don't think you're getting anywhere or you just want a, another opinion, another take from a, from a third party, that's when seeing your GP can be useful either by yourself with the child on their own or a combination of, of, of the two. Okay, so you're saying perhaps if that's if that's where you want to go, where you need to seek professional help, mm. seek out a GP first. That's often people's first port of call, um, e even if we're referring people on to, to, to therapists or to, to, to psychiatrists or whatever might be necessary. Um, normally, either the school, if they have a, a counsellor or someone who looks after that area, or the GP are a good place to start. And often mm -hmm. teenagers like the confidentiality of, 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 of seeing a doctor, the idea that they can talk to the doctor and, and it's no one's going to tell their friends or no one's going to tell their school if they don't want them to. Yeah. Um, that can help them talk about this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Right. And, and the fact that you talked about, you know, same problems being faced by teenagers all over the world, I guess even us as teenagers, when we were growing up, mm. I was a teenager in the last century, that was like... <laughs> feels really ancient but uh, we have problems too we yeah. were also discovering ourselves and going through these same transformations but we didn't have a very important element of development that we have today which is social media yeah. which is pretty much ubiquitous um, so what and how does social media impact the mental health of teenagers so it, 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 it you're absolutely right it is a big factor and and our teenagers fundamentally are facing the same issues that we did the problem with social media is that it makes the whole thing more 24-7. Right. So uh, in days gone by, if you were being bullied at school or you feel like you didn't have many friends, then you could come home at the end of the day and that bit of your life was separated. Over, yeah. Yeah. Now on social media, if you're being bullied, you're probably being bullied on social media as well. If you're, if you're worried about friendships, that's being perpetuated on social yeah. media. If you're worried about your body image, yeah. that's being perpetuated. And so it, it acts as an amplifier. I don't think social media is the root cause of any of these problems, mm -hmm. but it amplifies them and it makes them more difficult to deal with for teenagers. Mm -hmm. And uh, moving on to the, um, you know, sort of parenting strategies. Um, what's, where, where does parenting, what are some of the boundaries that a parent should set? I know every parenting style is different yeah. and there's no good or bad parent. Mm -hmm. It really what works for you and your context and your family. But when does a parent stop being a friend and more of a parent? Yeah. I mean, where do you have, it's very hard. We're constantly juggling mm -hmm. um, and understanding our, you know, our interactions with yeah. our children and understanding what part you, the good cop today, the bad cop yeah. today, the parent today, yeah. the friend today, tomorrow. So. Yeah. What are you? What are your thoughts about that? I think that? It, it's. You're right. It's difficult, and every parent has a different take on on where those boundaries lie. I think the two most important things uh, for parents to think about is is the first is setting an example. So you can you can teach your child simply through modelling good behaviours and managing your own mental and physical health and well being. 
and, and, and your, your behavior towards other people as an example to your children. So even outside of your relationship, just the, what they see of you is important. And then the other one is just being there. I think uh, you, it's much healthier if your children feel that they're able to talk to you. And there's always going to be things that teenagers are embarrassed to talk to their parents about, mm -hmm. and that's not the fault of the parents. Mm -hmm. But the idea of, of being there and being present and being open to hear their problems and not sort of playing down their problems, because their problems, even if we think they're trivial, to them they're the biggest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. And saying, oh, well, everyone feels a bit anxious or everyone feels a bit down in the dumps at times. Mm -hmm probably isn't helpful. I think it's useful to, to acknowledge the importance of the, mm -hmm, of the issue mm -hmm. to, to, to them. Um, and so you can achieve an awful lot just by being present and being available mm -hmm, for mm -hmm. your children. I think, it, as we mentioned, if it gets to the point where you're a little bit out of your comfort zone and um, a little bit out of your depth, then maybe that's when it's time to ask for help, whether that's through professionally, through a GP or through friends, relatives, etc. Talking about um, uncomfortable conversations, yeah. is there a right or wrong time for that? And should you do it sooner than later? So for example, sexual orientation or changes in the body or when should you do yeah. it? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm a firm believer that sooner is better than later. Okay. Again, it's for every parent to make their own call and there are strong feelings about when right. those conversations are appropriate. Um, but we know that all the research shows that children are having these conversations at school or online already, yeah. already at, a, at a worryingly young age. Right. And so waiting till your child's 14 or 15 to have a conversation about sex or alcohol or whatever it might be, it's too late. They're, right. they're, they're going to have learned from the, the places you don't want them to learn from, right. their friends and the internet. Right. And so I, I think the, the key is to, to, to be in control of that conversation and, and to be in charge of the narrative from a younger age even though that make you might make you as the parent feel a bit more uncomfortable right and in terms of when you know they start um, adolescence or these these changes start to happen is it different for girls and boys or is um, it similar it's framed in different ways and the ages are different so girls tend to start puberty from a younger age than boys that's right. just a, a, a natural thing right. Only on average by a year, mm -hmm. um, and so most of these things are running in in tandem. But as we will see from our own kids, the the, the levels of physical development within a class can be quite varied, right. and and it would follow that the the levels of emotional and mental development are right. quite different right. as well. Right. Yeah, coming to uh, talking about physical development, so obviously height and weight, those are some of the changes yeah. that are happening. So how can parents really support this phase in uh, their children's lives in terms of the appropriate and the right kind of nutrition or exercise or sleep? What are some of the suggestions that you might have for yeah, parents? So, so again, uh, following on from what we said earlier, modeling good behavior. So your children will learn about diet and exercise and things like that from the what they see at home. Uh, and ultimately you are still in charge of what your child eats and, and what physical activity they do. So um, you're setting good boundaries and behaviors there is important. Um, being sympathetic and understanding of the physical changes they're going through, which are mainly hormonally uh, regulated. And those obviously are very different between girls and boys from breast development to period starting yeah, yeah. can be a, a very difficult time for some girls. Um, hair growing in places that it hasn't grown before and the awkwardness that goes with that, particularly because 
you know, they may be a very early developer in their class, they may mm. be a very late, and mm. both of those things yeah. can have stigma attached yeah. to them. Yeah. My son came back, uh, when, when he went back to school after the summer, he says to me, Mum, my friends have really grown in the mm. last eight weeks and some of them are much taller than me yeah. now and I'm way shorter yeah. and therefore there was this, what can I do? Yes. You know, what should I do? So I said, the first thing I need to do is sleep. I think that's yeah, one of the uh, areas in which uh, teenagers don't get enough and mm. that impedes with their growth. Is Correct. that? Yeah. yeah. And protein and calcium, that's something that I believe is an important component of the children's yeah. diet. So, so a healthy balanced diet is important. Growing, growing your bones and growing your, your body tissues is, demands a lot of energy. It's a high calorie activity for the body. And so eating enough is important um, and eating the right kinds of food. We know that dietary habits that are set in adolescence tend to follow people through their lives. and so whilst kids some kids might be able to get away with eating a lot of junk and processed food yeah. without necessarily gaining weight you're setting them up for problems right. down right. the line and right. so um, you know eating a, a balanced healthy diet um, in adolescence is just as important if not more than mm -hmm. it is for, mm -hmm. for adults um, they need a lot of physical activity ideally they should be doing something physically active on most days of the week and again we know that recent research suggests they're spending more time in front of computers, more time living a sedentary lifestyle, and, and that's not great. Right, so do you recommend a certain number of, uh, like an hour, two hours of physical exercise every day, or? Half an hour to an hour a day would be ideal. Obviously a lot of kids will get that through school anyway, mm -hmm. one would hope, um, and it doesn't really matter what it is. It has to be something that they enjoy, otherwise they won't keep doing it. Mm -hmm. If you're having to force them out of the house to do something, that's never going to last. Right, um, right. And so it, it can be anything, but trying to find something that physical that they enjoy is, is important. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And are there any vaccinations that teenagers should access? There are. There are, there, are, there are some routine vaccinations that are given through the teenage years, although much fewer than are given in, in, in early childhood. Um, under most national schedules, you have a, a tetanus booster somewhere between 10 and 14 mm -hmm. years old. And in many countries, we give the HPV vaccine at the same time as that. So HPV vaccinates for a, a virus uh, that's implicated in cervical cancer in, in women. Mm -hmm. It's on the national schedules in, in most European, North American and Australasian countries. Uh, and it's one that we recommend. And it's often convenient to give it at the same time as that, mm -hmm. that tetanus booster. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking about physical uh, development again, are there any problems that teenagers tend to face um, during their growth spurt? Or yeah. The, yeah. So there are there are some problems, uh, sort of physical musculoskeletal problems that are related to growing bones. I see a lot of kids with uh, with with knee, ankle, hip pain related to growing, and and often that doesn't need any treatment, but sometimes parents want some advice and reassurance on that. Um, there are the changes that, that go with the hormonal changes of puberty. So, so acne is a, a common problem yeah, in adolescence, yeah. can be quite distressing and, and have a significant impact on people's lives. Um, problems around periods for girls, if they're very heavy or very erratic, trying to manage those. And then, although we, a lot of parents don't like to think about it, the, the, the health implications of becoming sexually active and mm -hmm. sexually transmitting infections mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Those are the, I suppose, the key things that are, that, that are different with adolescence. Of course, we still see infections and mm -hmm. coughs and colds mm -hmm. and, and all the usual stuff as well. Right.
Well, one of the conversations uh, that we have very often at the dinner table in my family is about height mm. and how tall will our son be? Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of, I don't know, I've read where you can actually predict the height of your child. And is there any scientific basis to that? Or when do children actually, boys or girls, when do they reach their final height? Do you have any so it, it happens at different that. ages most children are, are, achieve a height somewhere between mum and dad yeah uh, so you can predict it in that way if you have some measurements and you plot it on a growth chart we can give a reasonably accurate prediction of final height mm -hmm. although it's not it's based on yeah population so it's not perfect um and girls achieve their final height at a younger age than boys so girls around 16 boys probably around 18. right um there's still a little bit of growth happening there it is a I'm always surprised at how how big a deal it is to parents and children <laughs> to, to, to think about this. Um, Especially if your son wants to play basketball. <laughs> well, this is, this, is a, this is a factor. And so you can, you can give some useful information there. In extreme cases, if, if we're worried about growth hormone deficiency or children that really aren't growing appropriately, we can identify that and, and aim to treat it before the growth plates in the bone start to fuse. You can actually give some treatments um, to help boost growth. But fortunately, that's that's very seldom needed, and often uh, parents and children just need reassurance that, like your son, just because some friends may have hit their growth spurt a little bit before him, they're going to catch up, and it will all even out in the end. Right, and it's pretty much uh, dependent on your genes, isn't it? You can't fight that. <laughs> no, you can't. No, and, and and very much dependent on your your parents' height. Mm. Although you know, we we often see kids that are taller than their parents. You know, very tall parents will tend to have tall children on average, right. and very short parents will have shorter children. So on blame average. it on your parents. Absolutely. <laughs> Are there any tools and resources um, that you would, you know, suggest to parents to access on a daily basis in terms of perhaps uh, Camden Medical? Do they have a, you know, resource library or we newsletters? We do. Yeah, we have we have a website and we have publications um, and talks like this, um, which are which are available. Um, the, the there's of course the option of coming in to, to discuss with us if, it, if it's something more important um, there's also some very good websites around the world for for, for, for these things um, websites like uh, headspace are you okay yeah. uh, ask Sigmund I don't know if we can put those on the on, on online under yeah the we, talk. we can perhaps collate all this information yeah. and make it available on quite useful um, guides on the mental health side of things because that's often where parents I think need help and you know mm -hmm. if you're worried about acne it's very easy to google that and read about the, the symptoms and the treatments for some of the mental health issues it can be a bit more of a minefield yeah. online yeah. so it's useful to have sort of reliable resources to, to look at mm -hmm. for that. Mm -hmm. And are there any specific support services available at Camden that you want that are over and above what you just said? Yeah absolutely so uh, the uh, whilst we might be the the first port of call to to, to discuss um we we work alongside and with uh, therapists counselors school nurses and school counselors um psychiatrists and pediatric pediatricians as as required okay. to meet the individual needs of the patient sometimes parents book in to see me just to have that conversation so the child isn't present they might say that this is my concern Am I worrying unnecessarily, or should we should we move on from this? And then we might get the the teenager in to to sit down and, and have a chat. And often, if if the parents are, are okay with it, getting the, the child in on their own um, without 
sort of mum or dad sitting behind their shoulder can can be helpful for them to really sort of express how they're feeling and tell you what's going on. Right, right. Uh, well, you're a parent and you have younger children, yeah. so I'm sure some of the parents listening in today also have a lot of younger children because Eden House has, we do have preschools and mm. uh, young families. So what is your, what are some of the strategies or some of the suggestions you'd like to share with them in order to, you know, help them navigate and transition through this phase of life which they have to and yeah. emerge stronger at the end of the day, at uh, the end of the tunnel? Yes. I think uh, being realistic about what a young child is, is important. So we all want to, you know, my kids are five and three, if I could bottle them and preserve them like this <laughs> with their innocence for the right, rest of their lives, right. that would be great, but we can't. And so, as I mentioned, you know, you, you need to take the lead on that. And so uh, a lot of 10 year olds are surprisingly mature and able to have a mature conversation. And it's much better for them to have that with you than with, with, with some other kid in the playground. Um, I think being in control of what they read and what they see, particularly online, in younger kids is important. Uh, with teenagers, it's more of a challenge because you've got to allow them a little yeah, bit of freedom. Yeah. Uh, but in younger kids, really, you should be in 100% control mm -hmm. of, of, of their screen time mm -hmm. and what they're able to, to watch. Uh, and again, to, to, to set good behaviors. If you're uh, a, a, a respectful, sensible, um, loving parents, then you would hope that they would turn into respectable, sensible, loving children as well. Absolutely. Well, famous last words. Thank you so much for joining us no today. Um, if you found this information useful, we will collate all of this and put it together on our blog. Um, and if you want to follow us uh, for future Facebook Live events, do uh, like us on Facebook or click interested in the upcoming event section. Uh, on that note, thank you very much once again, and um, I will see you when I see you. Have a lovely afternoon and cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you.